Welcome back to another episode of Animation One-to-Ones, brought to you by Squiggly Online Animation Magazine. This is Ben Mitchell, Squiggly Editor-in-Chief, excited to bring you all a chat between Squiggly contributor Mel Sionko and veteran TV animation executive Richard Magallanes. Having dedicated more than 20 years to creating content for children, Rich has served as lead content creator, developer, showrunner, and executive producer for high-profile networks such as Nickelodeon, Sabin Brands, Funrise Inc., and Mattel. Rich's extensive list of hit shows includes Rainbow Butterfly Unicorn Kitty, SpongeBob SquarePants, The Fairly Odd Parents, Danny Phantom, Chalk Zone, Teenage Robot, El Tigre, Invader Zim, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, to name a few. Recently, Rich made a triumphant return to Nickelodeon as a consulting producer, serving to reinvigorate hit animated preschool entertainment for kids. He was also named Imogen Foundation's Most Influential Latino in Entertainment. So let's hand it over to Mel Sionko in conversation with Rich Magallanes. It would be great to first hear about how you got into the industry in the first place. If it was a childhood thing or something that you grew up into, into liking. Um, I will tell you, it was not a childhood thing. I mean, you know, as a kid, I watched animation, of course. And, you know, just I just like a normal kid watched animation, thought it was great, thought it was fun and really enjoyed it. Um, but I didn't grow up thinking, you know, I'm going to be a big animation executive or create my own show or do any of that stuff. I just I had no idea. I've always been a storyteller, though. So I fell into writing in college and um, became really good at that, excelled at it, and got my degree in journalism. And from there, I became a news writer at a radio station. I had a published piece in a uh, magazine. I wrote for the school paper. And um, I also had my roommate who was going to film school. Uh, he was going to another college and his his major was film. So together we were always writing and, you know, directing and producing and acting and we were doing it all. It was a bunch of silly, you know, uh, college stuff that I would never show anybody. So um, uh, and that's kind of how I fell into it. You know, I was uh, going along about my life and after college and uh, got that 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 radio news job. And then um, I started doing more film work, like in terms of making films and then. I was also getting into acting and we were directing our own stuff. And it was just a great creative pod of people I was hanging out with. And we were just, you know, when I say independent films, I mean, money from our pockets, independent films, locations yeah. like our houses, locations, like that kind of stuff. And so we were making all these films. And then uh, one day somebody at Nickelodeon said, hey, I heard you're, um, you're in production. I hear you're a writer. I hear people like you. I hear you do a good job. I need help. Can you help me? So I said, sure, why not? So I took this job at Nickelodeon and I started out as a freelance, uh, what they called as a story consultant. So, and I was actually an assistant to her. So I wasn't even fully that, you know, and what we do is we, we read scripts and gave, gave notes to the writers. And I started doing that on um, a couple of early shows like Wild Thornberries, um, uh, even the tail end of Rugrats. And then, kind of went bled into a little bit of other uh Klasky shows and Klasky Chupo, which was uh the Rugrats production company and then um uh yeah went into Angry Beavers and stuff like that and then long story short because it just gets really long <laughs> was that I um I ended up uh just kind of excelling in the actual production 
you know, executive sort of network area. And I went from one thing to the next thing. So I went from like, you know, a freelancer to a staff person, to a coordinator, to a manager, director. By the time I left, I was senior vice president, uh, current series. I had developed a lot of shows, um, helped develop a lot of shows. And yes. um, yeah, I was overseeing uh, in production too. So yeah, it was quite the ride. And then from there, I went to Savon Brands and did the same thing there. I was senior vice president, development, production, where I actually developed a couple of shows. And I actually ended up, by default, uh, creating, developing, producing, selling my own show. And then from there, I left and went over to the toy company, who eventually bought that show. And I ran my show as just a showrunner. But then I was also um, developing other shows for them at the toy company. And then after that, I jumped off the executive bridge and just uh, surfboard and went swimming out into the ocean and decided to, well, I wanted to make my own content. And I came yeah. back to Nickelodeon recently. Yeah. How was the, how was the road in going up those ranks in going from freelance to where you are now? Yeah, it's pretty, um, it's a pretty wild ride. I got to say. I learned quickly when I jumped off that executive surfboard and I was working for companies and I always had, you know, the 401k and, you know, you got insurance and you had all this stuff. And then yeah. suddenly when you're independent, you're like, where's all my background? And, you know, like, and also you're out there and you're thinking, you know, I know, I know a lot of people in the animation industry and just the industry in general. And, you know, you feel like, okay, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to create another show. I'm going to do it all over again. It's not so easy. And, you know, it's a little foolish to think so, but, and it, it wasn't like I was being foolhardy about it. It was sort of like, you know, uh, best wishes, but it's tough. You know, it's really tough. I hear people all the time, you know, out there pitching and um, and not pick, getting their stuff picked up. And, and they're really well-known writers. Um, there's a little bit of a game to it. Policy, there's uh, politics, there's a little bit of luck factor. There's definitely timing involved. Um, it, it's, it's a really strange thing. You got to be super passionate about what you do. You have to really believe in what you do, let people feel that passion. And at the same time, you have to have this armor of like, you don't care if they pick it up or not. Like you have to be, you know, it has to deflect off you. If, if everybody said no to you and it destroyed you, you would be in a world of hurt and you wouldn't yes. get very far at all. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a it's a strange place to be. Before you mentioned that it wasn't always your goal to be where you are now, to be an executive and to be in the animation industry. How did you find the passion to continue with that kind of career? Um, you know, I love, like I said, I'm a storyteller and I love production. And so for me, it's I don't really need to find find it too much. You know, I, I enjoy working with people. Yeah, um, I enjoy doing what I do. And one thing I was saying when I was out on my own freelancing, because I did that for about two to three years, and I always thought, I don't care if I'm running somebody else's show. I don't care if I'm running my show. Of course, I'd prefer it be my show, you know, uh, something I created and developed. But um, but yeah, I, I, I wanted to be a showrunner, period, whether it be mine or somebody else's. And so that's that's what I'm doing now. You know, that's where it led me back to that. And so um, my passion is just all about um telling the best stories you know having fun with the crew that i'm working with and um and and putting out the best product and currently you're also working a lot with uh preschool and also with younger audiences and yes. that kind of entertainment 
area of animation. Uh, how is that? How's that? It it's not like my my first given choice, you know. Um, yeah. I kind of I I dabbled in preschool on my my first uh, tenure at Nickelodeon a little bit here and there. That we just you know kind of we kind of like share things and you know talk about projects and you know I give uh, thoughts ideas maybe some notes on certain projects but nothing too heavy. And then when I went to Saban Brands. Um, I, I got more into it because I started to get deeper into some of the shows that we had sold to ne uh, Netflix that were preschool. And um, I was also uh, taking over some shows that he already had been in production. So I was overhauling those and those were in preschool. And then, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's the same thing. Preschool seems so easy, but it's so tough. You know, there's there's a lot more rules involved. I am much more of a comedy um, slapstick guy, you know, and, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about earlier about animation, how I fell into it. It's like when I first started at Nick, I like I said, I never expected myself to become, uh, you know, a network executive. Um, but once I started working animation, I found out how much I loved it. And I started to realize how much I'm a cartoon character, you know, and how my my brain thinks and the way my brain works. Very visual and very silly, very cartoony. And I, uh, my mom was like that, too. She was always making voices in the room and just being a goofball, you know, and I do the same thing. But um, but yeah, preschool is it's a little more challenging for me because only because I have to watch myself. I have to constantly pull myself back you can't do those kind of jokes that are not even sophisticated but you just have to be careful about how you say things and how you execute it and it has to be um it has to be retainable and it has to be sticky and usually there's you know a lesson to be told or something to be learned that's a little more harder hit than a you know the 6 to 11 you know general uh comedy crowd i would say yeah yeah. Would you say then that the shows that you worked on that weren't aimed for that kind of audience were the highlight of your career? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hard. It's a hard question to answer. I definitely have uh, shows that are I just I love with so much passion and devotion. Um, like SpongeBob SquarePants was a big one for me, you know, because that was always uh, I was always involved in it in some realm. You know, I came in on that. You know, as a as a um a younger you know um uh what do i say uh lower level you know executive on the on the executive side and worked my way up so then it was always under my umbrella but it's i learned so much from the creator of that show uh the late great steve hillenberg who is just yes. it has so much integrity for his character and i learned a lot from him about that you know just watching him the way he worked and the way he talked about spongebob and the way he always had these rules and you know very specific about spongebob in general so um those those kind of shows to me um were really some of my favorites but to be honest with you every show i worked on every single show i worked on they all become your babies you know and yeah. there's some that i didn't want to work on at all and then it just becomes like your favorite thing ever so going as well into another thing that kind of interests me about you and your career in general, is the fact that you actually were named as the Imogen Foundation's most influential Latino in entertainment. How did that 
award and that, uh, well, not that award, but that title feel like having? It was a little strange for me, to be honest with you, because I'm I'm half Latino and and then we're, you know, half, you know, uh, European. So uh, for me, I'm not full, but definitely grew up with, you know, my grandparents on my father's side who spoke Spanish in the house 100%. And my lineage goes from from Mexico all the way back to Spain, and there's a lot of pride in there. And um, so it's definitely uh, it's been a part of my life, you know, having a grandma who made homemade menudo, you know, like and just we had a house and in uh, outside of Ensenada growing up. So we used to go across the border all the time. So this, you know, Mexican Latino influence is a huge part of my life. And when I was nominated for the award. I wasn't even really sure like how big it was, you know, like to be honest with you, uh, somebody nominated me and I won this thing. And uh, I, I was really um, honored, first of all, but I had no idea like what a big deal it was. I didn't even tell anybody at Nick that I had won really? this award until after I won it. I didn't tell anybody I was nominated. I didn't tell anybody I won. And I went to the event and I remember I, I dressed up, I, I wore a tie and a jacket. And then I got there and I, I was kind of like, Oh man, this is a huge deal. I'm so glad I wore a jacket. You know, I just was trying to look nice because I love to look nice wherever I go and be presentable. But it was a big deal. And then it then it hit me like this is a big award. And another thing that I love to do is uh, you know, I love talking to Latino kids, you know, just from my background, because my background, I, I didn't have the support. Uh my co- my family's not college educated, and I have four no. other brothers in front of me. And I was the only one who went to college and I did it on my own volition. I did it because I wanted to, because I thought for some reason I should, to be honest with you, I don't even know why I thought I should, but I just thought it was the better thing I should be doing. And so um, what I love to do is, is talk to kids and, and let them know if, if I can do it, you can do it no matter what it is. So is that kind of idea of if I can do it, you can do it, something that drives you on your career? Absolutely. I mean, 110%. Like, uh, for me, it's it's all about your passion, but it, it's also about, you know, what what are your goals? What are you laying out? What do you want to do? I, I just, I, I'm a survivor. Yes. I came, my household was absolutely insane. We moved around all the time. We had no rules. There was no uh, support guidelines, nothing. And all my brothers were even like, they're, everyone's very individual. We all love each other. We're all, we're all great with each other. But we we all have our own set of friends. We all did whatever we wanted to do. But, you know, latchkey kids. There was, you know, I mean, the house was just totally insane. And I have so many stories about that. We could do a podcast just on that. But literally, um, it was, it was, you know, unhinged. And, you know, uh, for me, for some reason... I always cared about everything I do. I, I I make my bed every day to this day. You know, when I, I, I take care of all my cars, no matter if they, my first car was a total piece of junk, but I used to wash it and keep it clean. And, and I still do that. And I, same thing with my house and everything. I just, I have to take care of my stuff. And so I, I think that, um, you know, I, I started out when I first started, first started working and stuff. I had so many jobs just to help me get through college. So one year, uh, I had to take a semester off just so I can keep making money so I can go back. And um, I don't know where I get all this drive from, but I, I do know it's sort of like if if you stop, 
then I feel like I'm dead. And I feel like I'm, I'm never going to, um, I'm just not that way. I'm not built that way. But some people also feel like they're not They, why should they bother or no one cares? And that's what I want to share, you know, with my stories is that I felt the same way. I was working in a mail room, you know, I started out in a mail room and I worked my way up out of the mail room. And it was an interesting story how that happened. But, you know, it's, I could have been in the mail room my entire life and, you know, my family wouldn't, they wouldn't judge me on that, you know? So there's no real like strong motivation to be this, you know, upper level executive or whatever you be. Some people are born into, you know, a nice family, college life. And I, I don't harbor that against anybody. You know, that's great. If you are, it wasn't my story. So if I can, if I can survive, if I can do it, I I really want to, you know, let people, other kids know, especially from the Latino backgrounds that yeah. don't have support, that don't have educated parents and parents that maybe just not know better how to support you, how to encourage you, how to motivate you. That's, that's where I would love to, you know, give a little bit of advice if I can. Talking about that as well, what do you think about uh, Latino people who find themselves working animation? Like, what have you seen the kind of the treatment that is given to them in your years of experience in the industry? It's definitely gotten a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, I got to say there was one, I'm not going to mention names or series, but there was uh, one series I worked on that was early stages of a, a Latino based show. And it was tough. You know, like I met this creator and we connected uh, him and his wife. And I'm not saying names, but you can probably look and find this stuff out. But he's from Tijuana. Yeah. And it was sort of like, wait a minute, you're from Tijuana. Like, I. Like, I know this area because we had our house in Ensenada, you know, growing up. And so we had an instant connection and bond and we tried to uh, work on stuff together. And then uh, the first project we worked on got snagged away by another network. And then uh, then he came back because I kept calling and saying, hey, you know, come back, come back, come back. I was really in love with his artwork and just him as a person and his wife. And it was sort of like they were such a great, great people. But I felt like the network wasn't ready for this Latino based show. You know, and even actually, I'll tell you, uh, when I did my show, uh, Rainbow Butterfly Unicorn Kitty, yeah. I remember like people at not Nickelodeon, people at an, at the other network were saying, I, I named the dog Miguel and he's a Chihuahua, you know, and that was her best friend, the cat's best friend. I think it was kind of funny to have a cat and dog best friend. And then also I really wanted him to be Chihuahua and I really wanted him to be. I wanted that Latin flavor in the show. And it's very, very important to me. I remember somebody came to me one day and they said, do we have to call him Miguel? And I was like, why? And they were like, can we call him Mikey or something? It just sounds so so Latino. And I was like, no, that's the point. It is Latino. And in fact, we're going we're gonna to have Latino flavor in the show. You know, and so... It's, it's an odd thing, even though that was not too long ago. Um, it's gotten a lot better. Just a lot of the creators, you know, are uh, treated uh, a lot nicer. Actually seeking them out now, you know, whereas in the past, it wasn't so much so. Writers seeking them out like crazy, really trying to find, especially like female uh, Latino, Latina writers. Like that's, you know, something I'm going through right now. You know, it's really, it's, it's an amazing um, 
but there's still more room for improvement. But there's so much improvement that has been made. What do you hope things like your story and the fact that there's even like something like the most influential Latino in entertainment award, like that possibility of recognizing that talent, what do you hope that can achieve to future uh, even even not Latino specifically, but future f foreign animators and non-English speaking animators who come into the Hollywood industry of animation. Again, I, I you know, it, yeah, even beyond Latino, I think it's it's everyone's much more open to it. You know, whether you be uh, Asian or you know um, African American or you know uh, uh, Native American or you know you're you know whatever it doesn't matter. Everyone's they want creators with different voices that has always been something uh nickelodeon has been proud of you know but at the same time you know corporations say certain things and certain the industry say says certain things it's when they actually back it up that makes the difference right and that's uh, i don't mind you know uh speaking my mouth about that because you know, the truth is the truth. And, you know, like I said, everyone's doing such a such a better job today. Um, and that's across the industry, not just animation. You know, people want to see foreign things now. People want to hear these foreign voices. They want to hear what these foreign directors and, you know, everybody, writers and producers. And they want to, like, because stories are, you know, um, there all this there's only so many stories you can tell but how do you hear it with a different flavor and do you know do you learn something from it is it a different you know uh, perspective so there's something really interesting and in, and not only educational but some it's a different experience it's like living your life you know vicariously through other people and i think that's the most interesting thing so with animation again um <clears throat> a big component of the type of animation that i do specifically is comedy you know and so does it translate comedy tends to translate more worldwide than you know um drama you know um so it's sort of like yeah it's cool to see all the doors open up and and people go into different types of uh you know um ethnicities and, and heritages and, and backgrounds and you know and sort of explore and play with them what do you hope your story specifically can bring into that kind of inspiration um again I, I i'm just really hoping that if if i can inspire one person i'm good you know and i've, I've already done it but but i mean like if i can continue to do that like if i'm speaking to a room of yeah in 2019 i went to the um the hispanic chamber of commerce in san antonio texas had me come out yes. to talk to uh for two days I was a keynote speaker for two days and I got to speak to these kids. One day was all boys and one day it was all girls. And each day was like 2,500 boys and then 2,500. And they were all like eight to 11, I think, if I remember the ages correctly. And I thought, oh my God, they're going to kill me. You know, I mean, like these are kids, you know, and there's not like, I've done the 500 kids. I've done the high school kids and, you know, and they can get a little unruly, you know, they can yell things at you and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, but not not bad things i mean just like how much money you make that kind of stuff you know or what kind of car you drive that you know and you you got to have an answer like why does that make me important to you you know like you know and then it, it makes them think about it you know but i think um <clears throat> if i can inspire a kid to stop and think even at that young age 
You know, I wish, here's the thing. When I was that age, I wish somebody would told me, you know what? It's going to be okay. You know what? You're going to be fine. You know what? You can do whatever you want to do. You can make your own decisions, you know, and as a little kid, you may not really fully understand that. But if someone were just to tell me that, just to take my hand and and say that to me, I think it would have made such a difference because then you have some hope. You have something to look forward to. You know, somebody believed in you. Somebody still believes in you. You know, like that kind of thing, that kind of guidance, um, which is so absent in so many kids today, you know, um, you know, just because of circumstances, not not to blame any anybody or any sort of uh, environment. But it just is. So I just really want to really be able to uh, help generations if I can. Big. And how how will your future work like reflect this inspiration that you want to bring? Um, I'm working on that, you know, because it's future okay. work, right? But I, yeah. I want to do more. I want to do more speeches. I I want to do more public speaking. I want to do more. Um, yeah, on my LinkedIn, I, I started recording. Uh, I took on a challenge. I have a life coach. I took on a challenge for 30 days. I posted some advice. I'm a runner. So okay. when I go running, like that's my meditational thinker sort of area. And I have yes. all these big thoughts all the time. And and so, um, and I, I did them completely unscripted. I would just grab the phone and be like, here was I thought today. You know, I thought about this, that, that, and this. And if that can help you, then that's great. But so do I think doing more of that kind of stuff, which is practice. Um, but also, um, I I love having shows that have a, a purpose to them, you know? Um, yes. Yeah, something that actually is, uh, it doesn't, I don't like hitting kids over the head, mostly because I'm in kids animation, but I d- just don't want to <laughs> hit them over the head with, you know, teaching a lesson because that's boring. Yeah. They want homework, you know, they're, they're actually watching these shows as escape entertainment you know they want something but then if you learn something out of it like your favorite character like spongebob is a great example too you know like you go oh he's so free you know but at the same time he would never do that you know because he knows he has his morals he has his values and that's the integrity i was talking about with steve and his character so it's sort of like if you're able to infuse that into your characters into your stories so that people can actually respect your show, your characters, your stories, and get something out of it in return and remember that, that's amazing. That's gold. Talking now about specifically the very near future, is there anything you could say that you have upcoming in your career? Well, right now, I um, I can't talk too much about it, but I'm executive producer on Dora, which is the reboot that's happening at Nickelodeon. It's CG, so we're bringing back our beloved Latina. Um, and it's it's a fantastic show. I mean, it's amazing. I I never knew I was going to love Dora so much, you know, because um, I always knew it when I was there, but it was I wasn't in that preschool space. And um, I, I, I just can't go into too much about it. But, yeah, um, but all I can say is that... Um, we're, re- we're working on the reboot. It's a CG and it's, uh, I-, I love the fact it- it's, you know, it's funny because it's like, it was relevant way back when it's been a couple decades, right? It's been yeah. on the air and, you know, and, and went off and now we're coming back with it. But, um, but like literally it was, it was so great to have a show that infused Spanish, you know, conversational, you know, it wasn't yeah. just like, oh, that means 
hello, you know, it's, it's not like that. You just say it and you keep rolling with it, right? So <clears throat> I'm actually learning quite a bit myself, you know? Really? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, but because okay. there's a lot of like, you know, um, culture and people are a little more sensitive to these days. So you got to make sure you do everything right, you know? Yes. You don't want to offend one culture over another. And a lot of different Latin cultures, just like there are a lot of different Asian cultures, you know, where even if they're speaking the same language, these ones don't do that and these guys don't do this. And then so you just want to make sure you're you're infusing the the correct cultural balance in there. And so we have somebody who's fantastic on our show who makes sure that happens, you know, but everybody has a part to play. But I love the fact that, you know, it's so relevant today, even more so than it was before. It never it yeah. didn't go away. It got it, it got stronger to have this. So it's an amazing, amazing property. The creators are amazing. Um, the character and the stories and the world that she lives in and her best friend Boots. It's just, I can't say enough about it. Over the moon about it, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I can't, I can't actually wait for that because when I was a kid, I used to learn English in Argentina with Dora, which yeah. it was so it was great. Uh, so I cannot wait for to see, like you said, our favorite Latina back in Nickelodeon. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. And we're really trying to uh, talk the talk and walk the walk, you know, uh, that's yes. also something I really believe in. And so, you know, we have, uh, you know, our, our, not all of our writers, but we, you know, you try to hire who you can, but they're Argentinian, um, you know, uh, and you know, all of our uh, voice characters, I don't say everybody. So this is where I'm going to get myself in trouble by talking too much, but we just, we're, we're walking the walk and talking the talk. And I used to do that back in the day when I uh, used to work on the uh, writing fellowship program at Nickelodeon. And that was for people of different backgrounds who were not able to get into the studio. So yes. other diverse you know, backgrounds. And so we gave them that opportunity, that experience. And um, we tried to really make everything authentic in what we did. And I think that was a good learning lesson for me and a learning tool about how to approach other, you know, ethnicities, backgrounds and everything. So. Well, thank you so much for all your answers on a final note. Is there anything, if somebody listens to this and they're from a Latino background and they want to get into the animation industry, is there something that you would give them advice or some kind of inspirational thing, anything that you would tell them? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many things that I could say, but uh, I would say, you know, just don't stop and, you know, uh, don't stop what you're doing. Keep pursuing your dreams because you're always going to have somebody who's going to say, you know, no or maybe, or not right now, you know, but you got to keep pushing. You got to keep, you got to believe in yourself. If you don't believe in what you're doing, it's not going to happen. And also when you, when you aim to do something, you really got to aim as high as you can. You know, um, again, you know, that old saying of like aim for the moon and you'll hit the stars. You're still up there, you know, it's, it's or whatever that thing is. I don't even know, but, um, yes. but literally you got to be flexible like that because um, you should aim to am amaze people. Don't aim to just please people. Aim to amaze them because that's when you will succeed. And you got to keep trying and trying and trying. You know, I mean, this led, I believe my path has led me to Dora for a reason. Well, yeah. thank you so much for being a part of this weekly podcast. And I wish you a very good afternoon. Thank you so much. I'm so glad that we had this opportunity. That was Rich Magallana speaking with Mel Sionko. For more of Mel's work here at Squiggly, check out their author page on Squiggly. You can also find them on Twitter at M.A. Sionko. 
Be sure to smash those like and subscribe buttons if you're watching this episode on YouTube. Otherwise, be sure to subscribe to Squiggly's Animation Podcast wherever you get your podcasts so as not to miss an episode. And while you're at it, follow us on Twitter, at Squiggly, Instagram, at Squiggly Animation, and Facebook.com slash Squiggly Magazine. The website, as ever, is squiggly.com. Thanks again to Rich and Mel, and until next time, happy animating.